All right, guys. I'm excited to be here with you tonight. Like Austin said, my name is Drew. I am the lead pastor of Redemption. So I normally speak here, but it's on Sunday morning. So it's exciting for me to be here on a Thursday night. Just before this, I dropped my daughter Aria off at cross-country skiing. She's one of my twin 10-year-olds, and she has blonde hair, blue eyes. And right before she got out of the van, I blew her a kiss, and she caught it and put it on her cheek. And then she blew me a kiss, and I caught it and acted like I was kissing her on the lips, and she laughed. She giggled and then got out of the car, and she was walking away. And I thought, I would do anything to make that girl happy. And I think that our culture is telling her and you guys a lie about where you find happiness. Our culture tells you that the way to find happiness is you look inside of yourself at your desires. And so whether that's a desire for sex or that's a desire for ambition or that's a desire for money, you look inside of yourself and whatever it is you desire most, you pursue with all that you are. And in that sense, you are being your authentic or your real self. And that is where you'll find your greatest joy. The problem with that equation is that suffering is not factored in. Have you thought about this? If that's true, then at any moment, suffering can take away your joy. And if that's true, your happiness or joy has an end point. So in the best case scenario for your life, you get what you want. You get the job you want. You get the spouse you want. You get as much money as you want. And when you die, you have to say goodbye to all of it. And so what I wanna offer you tonight from the book of Philippians is a purpose for your life that cannot be extinguished by either suffering or death. And what we're gonna see from the example of the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter to a church at Philippi, is that gospel purpose can advance through suffering. We're gonna see this in three different ways in the text. The first one is that the gospel can advance through proclamation in suffering. Look with me at Philippians chapter one. We're gonna start in verse 12 and read through the first half of verse 18 to start. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have been coming confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only 
that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Okay, so here's the background of the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to this church at Philippi under house arrest. He has been a traveling church planter, and he hits a dead end in Rome because he is arrested for preaching the gospel. And so as he writes this letter, he is chained, literally, to a Roman soldier, penning this letter to a church that he planted. And they have two concerns. Because they personally love Paul, they are concerned for his safety. They don't know whether he is going to be exonerated from his supposed crimes or whether he's going to be martyred for the faith. So they're personally concerned. And secondly, they're concerned that their hope that the gospel would reach the ends of the earth through his ministry would stop. You see, the Philippian church is a generous church, and so they have given money to the Apostle Paul to support his ministry. So one of the main reasons that Paul is writing this letter is to assure them that he is okay and that the gospel is advancing. So in this text, he's like, listen, guys, I'm rejoicing. And he tells us the reason that he's rejoicing. Here's Paul's perspective. Chained to one of the imperial guard. That imperial guard, whoever it was who he was chained to, would change every, let's say, six, eight hours. And Paul thinks to himself, well, if they're changing the guard every six to eight hours, that means I always have a captive audience to share the gospel with. And so Paul is just on rotation sharing the good news of Jesus with the guy that's chained to him. And then what's happening is the imperial guardsmen are around the lunch table and they're all like, so what'd you talk about the apostle Paul with? And they're like, he's sharing the good news of Jesus with me. He told Jesus died. He told me Jesus rose and that I can have new life if I place my faith in him. And so the, the Imperial Guard, without even knowing it, are becoming evangelists so that even people who were never chained to the Apostle Paul know the good news of the gospel. And then the brothers, that is the Christians in Rome, catch wind of this. And they're like, no way. The Apostle Paul is chained up in prison. He's only got one guy to share the gospel with and he's getting the job done. And we're out here with all the freedom in the world and we have all the opportunity in the world and we're too fearful to unpack the good news for people. And so they are inspired by his boldness. They didn't take an evangelism class. They got next to somebody who was passionate about Jesus and they were like, we gotta get with it. And so most of them start to share the gospel with people that they know. Then Paul catches wind that some of the people that are out sharing the gospel are considering evangelism a competition with him. And so they're getting the word out to make him look bad. But here's his perspective even on that. He says, I don't care. Here's where my joy rests. The name of Jesus is getting out. 
And so the Philippian church had heard that he's in prison. They get this letter. They're thinking, oh, is Paul okay? Is the gospel gonna move forward? And Paul assures them that he is more than okay and that the gospel is gonna make its way to the ends of the earth. And I wonder if in his perspective, there might be something for each of us that we would understand that whatever suffering comes our way, that is not an obstacle to our greatest joy, but an opportunity to express our greatest joy. You see, when suffering comes into your life, in whatever form it is, however small or how big it is, if you can see the magic of the moment and understand that you are supposed to complain and grumble and get discouraged because that's what everybody else does because the perspective that everyone else has on suffering is that it takes away their greatest joy, your greatest joy is still intact. His name is Jesus. And that can never be taken away from you. And then you, like Paul, can inspire others to do the same. In preparation for this message, I read an inspiring story about somebody who is alive on the earth right now doing this very thing. She's a person that I've long admired. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. When she was 16 years old, she dove off of a dock into a lake that she didn't know how deep it was. And at age 16, she became a quadriplegic. Now, I believe she's in her 70s, and this last week, she found out that one of her lungs has atrophied as the result of her quadriplegia. And so she has having a hard time breathing and is having to wear a vest in order to keep her chest moving up and down. And she also has lost the ability to feed herself with the only limb of hers that worked. And so she wrote an article for Desiring God about her perspective of her pain. And this is what she wrote. The son of God was ripped to shreds and then hung up to drain like a bloodied piece of meat on a hook. And if this is what in Jesus endured to rescue me, I refuse to dignify any sin that impaled him on that cursed tree. I will not coddle anything that helped drive the nails deeper. I relinquished my right to complain so that I might glorify almighty God through my hardships. Anything less shrinks my soul. Anything less shrinks my soul. Anything less shrinks your soul. Because the purpose of your soul was not to find your greatest joy and satisfaction in this life, in comfort, in sex, in relationships, in money, in food. Your heart was made to beat for King Jesus so that you can 
Find your greatest joy even when you have lost everything. Okay. So, if there's this opportunity for proclamation and suffering, what then is the purpose for suffering? Paul goes on, Philippians 1, second half of verse 18 to verse 21. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed at all, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Okay, so Paul starts off, he says, I'm gonna rejoice, because I know that through your prayers, this is gonna turn out for my deliverance. Okay, so we immediately think this way. We think, okay, we get it, Paul. We know why you're really rejoicing. Because you're an apostle, you got people praying for you, and you know you're getting out of prison. And of course, because you know you're getting out of prison, your joy is really in being free, not in Christ. And so we get it. We pray like that too. Like It's kind of like Jesus, if you heal my mom or if you heal my dad, then I'll trust in you. But if you don't, then I'm giving up the trust. But what we see in this text is that's not what Paul means when he says that he knows he'll be delivered. He doesn't know whether he's gonna get out of prison or whether he's gonna stay in prison and then be martyred. So when he says that he's gonna be delivered, what he means is not delivered from prison, but that no matter what happens to him going forward, that he is going to be delivered from a spirit of fear. He knows that he is going to continue to be a courageous witness for Jesus. The reason that he knows this is because his life purpose has forever been changed. For him, to live is not some sport or some relationship or some financial investment, or some future vacation. For him, to live is Christ. That is, the purpose of his life is to put the spotlight on Jesus. And so he looks at his suffering, and he says, what better opportunity on this side of heaven than suffering to put the spotlight on Jesus? Because when you're suffering, everybody's looking at you and feeling bad for you and thinks it's okay for you to throw a pity party. And so what a surprising thing to do to instead turn the attention to Jesus. Paul says, if you learn to do that, you will find purpose and hope and buoyancy in your life no matter what comes your way even if you face death. Because here's what you'll learn as a Christian. You'll learn in facing death that death is not the loss of everything that you treasure. It is 
the gain of your greatest hope. Okay, that might just sound like preacher talk to some of you guys right now. And you're like, okay, the Apostle Paul, he's this old school guy, and you're a preacher, you're supposed to say that. Does this actually work in real life? That is a legitimate question, an important question for all of us to ask. And I am here not just as a preacher, but as a person to testify that this works. Guys, six months after my family moved here to plant this church, my wife, Melissa, gave birth to our sixth child, Jude. He was born with a congenital heart defect, one of only two that is undetectable in the womb. He was born February 8th of 2018. And after five open heart surgeries and five months and three days in the hospital, I was in a room with my wife, Melissa, my sister, Anna, and my parents and watched my son die. Over the next few days, we had to make decisions that I never thought I would have to make this side of heaven. One decision was where is Jude going to be buried and what is going to be on his gravestone? In that process, my wife and I decided that since our son had preceded us in death, that we wanted to be buried in the same cemetery in the same plot where he was buried. So we needed a big old gravestone. So right in the middle of that gravestone in the Eden Prairie Cemetery, you can go walk and see it right now. It says Jude Wesley, February 8, 2018 to July 11th, 2018. To the left, it says Drew William, July 19th, 1984. And then there's that dash on the gravestone. On the right side of it, it says Melissa Sue, my wife's name. November 7th, 1980, dash. And do you know what it says under all three of our names? To live is Christ and to die is gain. And do you know what we did when my son's body was lowered into the ground, we worshiped Jesus. Because our son died, but our hope didn't die. In fact, our hope came alive in a whole new way. So I told my kids the other day, we baked a cake for my son Jude's sixth birthday. And we defied the grave around my dinner table and I told my five living kids, I said, do you know what heaven feels like to me? They're like, what? I don't know. I said, it feels like Texas. Like, Texas? What do you mean Texas? I mean, it feels real. Like a real place that's close, that's just a short drive away. And that's because the purpose of my life has been transformed slowly, over time, so that it's not about me. 
It's not about my comfort. It's not about my success. It's about Jesus. And I want you to have that. Because as I stand looking around this room, here's what I know about every single person in this room. There will become challenges your way as you go through life that will be so real that you will question whether God loves you, whether he cares about you, whether he has you in mind. And you have to understand that God's purpose for your life is not to make you healthy and wealthy, but to give you an indestructible hope, or in that moment, you will walk away. The purpose for your suffering is to give you hope, to make you trust in Jesus and cling to him. And sometimes God, in his severe mercy, will take away what is most precious to you in order to give you Christ. All right, so we've got proclamation and suffering, our purpose for suffering, and follow. And finally, what we see in the text is that gospel purpose can advance your suffering because we make progress in suffering. Here's what Paul says to close this section. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So here's what Paul thinks is gonna happen. He thinks that because the Philippian church needs his encouragement, that he's not gonna die a martyr's death, but he's gonna get out of prison. And so he says, here's what I'd like to do when I get out of prison. I would like to help all of you make progress in your faith so that your hope is less connected to things of the world, it is more connected to the things of God. And the way that I am going to aim at helping you do that is by targeting your worship. Do you see where I'm getting that from in the text? He says, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling us something very important about how we make progress in our faith. We need to pay more attention to what we're worshiping, that is what our heart is really saying, than what we say we believe. See, unless something has gone from your head down into your heart, into your bones, you don't really believe it. And so Paul 
is saying, I'm living the way that I'm living. I'm doing what I'm doing so that you have an aha moment in your life and the object of your worship really changes so that you glory. That is from your guts, you love Jesus moment by moment in your life. So that when that person in your class is mean to you, it might affect you, but it doesn't quite drive all the way into your heart. Or when that person that you ask out or that you want to ask you out doesn't ask you out or rejects you, it might hurt, but it's not devastating. Why? Because you're not worshiping them anymore. You're worshiping Jesus. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying you don't cry. I'm just saying it doesn't feel like your life is over. Paul is saying he wants us to glory in Jesus. Do you know that all of us, at every moment of our lives, are glorying in something? That is, Something or someone is the object of our heart's deepest affection. Jesus wants that part of you. Here's why he wants that part of you. David Foster Wallace, who was a novelist, committed suicide in 2005. And just before he committed suicide, he spoke at the graduation for King's College in New York City. And this is what he said there. This is very perceptive. He was a, a non-Christian. He said, because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan mother goddess or the four noble truths or some invaluable set of ethical principles is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified in myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Did you catch what he said? Pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. Isn't that true? We've all experienced that. Christian or non-Christian, 
of putting the weight of our worship on something. Do you guys watch the Super Bowl? You see Patrick Mahomes after the game? He literally ran over to the interviewer after the game. How did you feel about just winning the Super Bowl? We're going to win it again next year. What's he saying? That satisfied me from the time I threw that game-winning touchdown pass to the time I ran over here, and it was over. Now I gotta have another one. We've all experienced that reality. Whatever it is that you're worshiping, if it's not Jesus, will eat you alive because you know it won't last. I want you to be happy, not just for the next 10 years, not just for the next 20 years, not even for the next 100 years. I want you to be happy for the next 10 billion years. And that is possible in Jesus. And do you know why it's possible in Jesus? It's not because you are always gonna keep this purpose at the front of your mind. It's not because as a result of this talk tonight, your entire world is gonna be changed and you're never gonna worship anything again. It's because Jesus did it for you. You see, to live as Christ, to die as gain, works because Jesus believed that. He lived to glorify himself. Remember, he said crazy things, like come to me and have a drink. I'm the bread of life. What's he saying? I'm the man. I got what you need. And then he believed that death was gain. He died in your place for your sin on the cross and rose again to new life. Now, here's the question. What was the gain for King Jesus? Do you know that before Jesus came to the earth, he had a perfect friendship. His best buddies, God the Father, the Holy Spirit. And they had the best times together. And they created the world not because they needed love from us, but they were like, we got something good going. We gotta share this with other people. Jesus is what they shared with other people. He came to give himself for you. He came to die for you. And so if you will transfer your trust from yourself and your flimsy worship and you know, rudderless purpose to looking at him and saying, man, I need what he's got. That will change your life. And when you stand next to whatever grave God has you standing next to in your life, you will understand that God is not doing that because he hates you. He is doing that because he loves you. 
He is taking away what you would worship instead of Jesus. And he knows better than anyone else it would eat you alive. And so here's what you're gonna do. Even if you don't feel like it, you're gonna put your hand up. You're gonna spend your life worshiping Jesus because you might not understand why he's doing what he's doing in your life, but you'll always understand this, that he loves you. The place you find that is not in your circumstances, but at the cross. Let's pray, guys. Jesus, I love talking about this. I'm so thankful that right now, as I stand on this stage, you have given me an indestructible hope that comes from Jesus. And I just, I want everybody in this room to have that. I want them to walk away from here looking away from themselves, looking at Jesus hanging on that cross for them and seeing that he loves them so much that he came and died for them. And then I want them to see that whatever suffering they're experiencing in their life, that God has purpose for it because he doesn't want whatever they would choose to worship other than him to eat them alive. God, maybe you're asking us to pray a crazy prayer. Don't spare us anything that would keep us from Jesus. I don't even know if I'm ready to pray that because I don't want more suffering, but I do want more Jesus. So God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name.